it's definitely going to go into a few classes because it, it is just so rich when you start looking at the New Testament with the lens of the Lord's Supper. So the way we're going to start is we're going to look at the Lord's Supper as it's taught in the Gospels before the Last Supper. Now, a lot of this happens in John, uh, much of it also in, in John 6, because John has a discussion of the Lord's Supper, but he doesn't say, this is the Lord's Supper, because this feeding of the, this feeding of the 5,000, and when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, that we'll look at in a second, this happens, obviously, before the Last Supper. So this is part of the edification, it's part of the tutoring, part of the training we have um, going into the Lord's Supper. Now in John, there's no, there is no Lord's Supper Christ institution in it. It's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Paul in 1 Corinthians. So John doesn't have the words of institution, but we have looked at the other accounts of Christ's words. Um, John, we'll see, speaks pretty clearly about the Lord's Supper. So we started with Christ's clear words. Now we're going to start to look at the words of John. One thing I'd like to do, and this is, uh, this is how, when we read the Bible, not at church, sometimes we read it a couple chapters at a time, maybe one chapter at a time, maybe even a smaller book. You could read a whole book at a time. It's actually called cursory reading. And there's a really great and awesome purpose in this, which we're going to do with John 6 in a moment. Um, the opposite of cursory reading is kind of like the texts that we have in church on Sunday. It might be a quarter of a chapter, or six verses, or sometimes even four verses, or 20 verses. Um, and sometimes, of course, we get stuck on one verse, and that verse somehow just speaks to us. Something's going on there, and it makes us really examine it and pray about it. But the cursory reading gives us a wider context. Uh, it gives us a context of what's going on in the pericope uh, and what's going on that John is talking about. And it's actually quite early in John's gospel. So what we're going to look at John 6 with the Lord's Supper in mind. Because one of the points I really, really want to teach today is thinking sacramentally is thinking spiritually. Sometimes it's hard for us, especially maybe even in parables of Christ, we think bodily. When, when we hear about the ten lepers, we hear about the ten lepers and only one came back to say thank you and all that. And we, it's sometimes difficult for us for, to make the spiritual connection. The Lord's Supper helps us with that in many, many readings in many ways. And so does baptism, quite frankly. Because that is a way, a gift, a means of grace that God has given to us where spiritual meets bodily. The Word of God and water. The Word of God and bread and wine. It makes, he makes the connection for us. So we're going to look at John chapter 6. We're going to read this in two different parts. If somebody with a loud and booming voice would like to read verses 1 through 15, we'll split it in half. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread, so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, 
There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this indeed, the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Thank you. And we can start to see with that lens of the Lord's Supper, but I don't want to put a stop to it. Let's read, uh, somebody would like to read 16 through 34. Thank you. About 35 to 51. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. 
And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Thank you. And then I'll read through 59. Then Jews, the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he, will, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. I don't know about you guys, but I lost count at the pictures of the Lord's Supper going on in there. Um, and this, it's almost when we read cursory uh, right through a chapter as we did, it almost makes, we got to stop and look at it a little bit section by section. We, we could honestly spend probably the next 10 classes just looking at John 6 in the Lord's Supper. But when you have the Lord's Supper in mind, you are thinking spiritually. So with that in mind, as in the other Gospels, it starts out with the feeding of the 5,000. Um, there's a, a miracle. It also takes place on the Passover. A miracle on the Passover, just like the Passover was. Um, following the feeding, Jesus leaves, and when people find him, they want to they make him their bread king. Oh, this guy's going to feed us. They want the, their fill of the loaves, not because they saw a sign. Um, the one who supplies the meals forever without working. That, that's, what, that's the kind of king they want. And then, of course, the, the discourse about the bread of life, and we'll get into some of that. Jesus tells them to seek the bread from heaven, direct reference to the manna which God supplied. God gave the bread. They asked for some, and Jesus replies, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. He who drinks me will never thirst. Later, he says, I am the bread from heaven. Uh, Jesus is telling us about the Lord's Supper, but we don't understand until the crucifixion. Now, there's two... John is full of I am statements. And we'll come to these in a little bit. I am the door, I am the way, I am the life, I am the truth, I am the good shepherd. And we talked a little bit about this before. When Jesus took bread and said, this is my body, that's literal language. He, he was holding something. This is my body. He wasn't holding bread and saying, this is my body. He wasn't speaking figuratively about the bread. Plainly says, this is my body. When Jesus says, I am the door, He's not holding a door. I am the door. I mean, that, that's just, that's silly. So that's figurative language, which, for example, in I am the door teaches us that Jesus doesn't open the door to heaven and let us through. Jesus doesn't just point the way to the door. There is no salvation outside of the door. 
Jesus is the door. Along with that, I am the bread from heaven. Do you think that's literal or figurative? Very literal. I am the bread from heaven. This is my body. I am the bread of life. He holds bread, takes bread, and having given thanks, broke it, and said to his disciples, this is my body. So we have connections to this. And something else to keep in mind, especially with John. John is uh, pretty well known, pretty well thought out to be the youngest of the apostles. And he is, it, it is the, uh, the last gospel written. At the time it was written, John had probably partaken in hundreds of Lord's suppers. Uh, this at least 40 years worth of weekly, if not daily, communion in the earlier days. Jesus is telling us about the Lord's Supper. We read this, we read this John 6 discourse with the walking on water in the middle, and that's a whole nother beautiful ball of wax. We read this discourse, and there are some people that will say, this is not about the Lord's Supper. Come on. <laughs> How many references? I lost count as we're reading through it. Pharisees, who are not thinking sacramentally, who are not thinking spiritually, how can we eat your flesh? And part of the reason they're thinking bodily and not spiritually, because... They had normally eaten the, the, the flesh of the sacrifice, the flesh of the animals. This was something sacrificed to God for the atonements of sin, blood on the altar, blood on the people sometimes, and um, eat the cooked meat. Um, very particular parts of it, too. But that's what they were... So they say, well, how can we eat your flesh? This is a... They're not thinking... They're certainly not thinking sacramentally because the sacrament hadn't been instituted yet. But they're not thinking spiritually at all. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Uh, my flesh is real food, literal language. My blood is real drink. Again, literal language, not figurative. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died. But he who feeds on this bread will live forever. And what he's doing here, he's teaching the Pharisees. You're thinking bodily. You're thinking about the manna that you're only, that had just enough every day to get by and, and, and two days worth for the Sabbath. But he who feeds on this bread will live forever. This is a New Testament in his blood. All right. Questions before we move on to the wedding. We're going to start to actually move backwards a little bit um, through John. Because um, John 6, certainly sacramental. What I, what, I, what I really want to make sure we understand today is that all of the gospel of John is sacramental. When we have that lens, when, we, when, when we're thinking sacramentally, when we're thinking spiritually, um, so let's turn, to, uh, let's turn to John 2. Let's look at the wedding at Cana. The first miracle, the first sign. And then whoever would like to read uh, John 2, verses 1 to 11. On the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. 
Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is this the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Thank you. Did you want to? Okay. Uh, no, that's that's good. That's good. Thank you. Um, when we've uh, we've all heard this reading before. And for myself included, have we ever made the connection to the Lord's Supper? And I have. And I started studying the, the, the language of it and what's going on. And, and the, way, uh, the way that I look at text, the way, I'm, the way I, I'm trained to look at text is from a preaching standpoint. So I look for whether it be different angles or rubs or topics on what to preach on. This is one of those readings that comes up in the church year that has 2,000 sermons in it, maybe 5 million. It is unbelievable, all of the different things going on. So the topics that, that come, well, marriage, it's a wedding. Uh, you know, the, whether it be the wedding that took place at Cana, maybe even compared to the wedding feast of the Lamb in Revelation. Um, family. Uh, family is there gathering. And there's some family dynamics going on with the fourth commandment. Was Jesus being rude? Well, he wasn't being nice. But we know Jesus isn't necessarily a nice guy. Topics associated with the Lord's Supper. And actually, as, as Roger was reading, uh, I'd like to point out one other that, I, that I, uh, I did not make the connection to. Verse 9. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, who's the first people to realize the miracle? Who's the first people to realize the first miracle of Jesus Christ? The servants. The servants. Not the master. Not, not even his own mother. The servants. This... this is there something there? Oh, absolutely, there, there's something there. When it comes to the caste divisions, especially of those days back then, it would be like master of feast, heads of household from around, from around town, the parents of the bride, uh, the parents of the groom, um, other family, other friends, and then you got servants. First to know, first to know. Um, I, I think that's a great comfort. What else takes place? Well, the, the wedding feast between bride and bridegroom. I had mentioned Revelation a, a little bit, and we're actually going to look at the wedding feast of the Lamb in Revelation in one of the next two Sundays. Um, but that's certainly there. God provides the sacrifice. God himself in the flesh provides the sacrifice. I think of Abraham and Isaac. God will provide the sacrifice. God will provide the sacrifice. God provides the wine. There's distress. Run out of wine at a wedding. And back those days, weddings were three to seven days. Whole town was invited. That's why you have six 30-gallon jugs. That would be embarrassing. Very embarrassing to the, the, the master of the feast. Then we have this... I found this fascinating because the Lord's Supper is the New Testament in his blood. And, it, and it's really signifying a lot of change. Like purification rites, and there were a lot of them, dozens if not hundreds of purification rites of Jews, some from the Old Testament and many more added by priests. Well, that's different now. You're not purified to wash. This, is, this, is, this would be like for washing your hands. Uh, before, before a meal. This was a law that, that they had to do. 
Jesus, Jesus changes that purification water to wine for everyone at the feast in abundance. We're talking 180 gallons, 150 to 180 gallons. And I picture a 55-gallon drum, right? I'm talking three of those. And it wasn't junk wine. The finest of wines. The wine that gives life, salvation, forgiveness. This is all part of the training. And of course, a manifestation of Jesus' glory. John uses that word manifestation. Um, and that basically means a showing. God is now, uh, Jesus has now made himself known among the people. Uh, not only spiritually, but connecting the spiritual to bodily by turning water into wine, by taking a, a tangible material you can touch and turning it into uh, something that has, well, he, he shows you spiritual power that changes it into wine. Is that not what takes place in the Lord's Supper? That tangible bread, tangible wine, the power of Christ manifests his glory with his word. Simple words that we can understand too. This is my body. So that's the, that's the, the wedding of Cana. Um, to be honest, I just started out looking for the word wine and bread and uh, st started digging into this a lot and all these and all these here. And there, there's more that, that could go with that, but I do want to, so we're going to keep working backwards here. With this in mind still, that John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote this after about 30, 40, after about 30 years at least of the church living its life. The church um, breaking bread. The church uh, daily prayers, which we'll learn about when we get to Acts. Well, let's turn to John 1. And we're still thinking sacramentally. We're going to read three different verses, standalone verses. Um, if somebody would like to read verse 1, 4, and 14. I like equations. So when, when, when John gives me something literal to look at, this equals this, I think math. This equals this. There's a lot of equals going on in here. Um, mostly, actually, I, I would argue all literal, all literal equations that speak spiritually and sacramentally. And here's what I mean. And the word was God. The word became flesh, life, light, this is my body. Same thing. He's talking about an actual physical body. That the word he uses for this is my body is an actual physical body. Full of glory and glory, full of grace and truth. And Jesus tells us, so this isn't, you know, we think of it maybe as just, it's, it's the body of Christ and the blood of Christ given and shed for you through the forgiveness of sins. And what it does for you is forgive your sins. What else is going on? A couple of prophets ate scrolls. God in your belly. Christ abiding. Eternal life. And I. 
Now, all of these are not only attributes of God, they're not only ways that the word describes God, but this is what God is inherently made of. We can't wrap our minds around it, and that's okay, but we have faith in it. Thinking sacramentally, same thing. Can't wrap our minds around it, but we have faith in what we're receiving. And in other ways, some of the figurative language, I am the door, the way, the truth, the vine, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the true bread. And if that's not enough, uh, uh, Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. Does anybody know what I am is in Hebrew? Yahweh. Before Abraham was, Yahweh. This would be enough. That one word, which means I am, would be enough for the Pharisees to stone Jesus on the spot. You don't say that name out loud. In fact, Jews of this day, uh, will, they, won't, they won't speak Yahweh. They, will, they have another name. They do Elohim or uh, Hashem in Hashem. Um, I am all of these things, some figuratively, many literally, all in that little wafer I hand to you, all in that cup that you drink. It's, uh, it's a little mind rattling. Can you even fathom what's going on? All of this becomes part of you. You digest it. It's still bread. It's still wine. Gets to your belly, goes to your liver. I don't know what the kidneys do, but I'm sure they're part of it too. It's, it becomes Christ abiding in you, physically and spiritually. Now, I, I want to look at some others. These are, these are all other Bible texts, starting with New Testament, and I got a couple Old Testament in here. And I, I just started looking some for some different words, and I started looking at others, and others just kind of like, wow, wow. Think, Lord, suffer. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Jesus Beatitudes. Same Sermon on the Mount teaches us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your name is holy. Your kingdom comes. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. This is the, the manna and the Lord's Supper. And, and Jesus is, is uh, this is his big sermon. It's his first statement of Christianity. The very first statement of Christianity comes out of that Sermon on the Mount. It is the first catechism. It's the first teaching. What's, what's going on? Give us this day our daily bread. He, he's already teaching us very early in his ministry. Matthew 10. So everyone who acknowledges me before men. Is this body Jesus? Is this blood Christ's blood? I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me or his real presence. I will also deny before my Father is in heaven. I will give you the keys, in Matthew 16, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This is the, the office of the keys as Jesus is instructing the apostles, uh, the keys of binding and the keys of forgiveness. Um, this will lead, when we look to 1 Corinthians a little more, It'll, it'll help us understand the office of the ministry. It'll help us understand the, the middleman. Uh, and I know more than a middleman. Matthew 18, thinking sacramentally. Again, truly, truly, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be, shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, Yahweh 
There am I. Mark 2. And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. This would be something like, if the Lord suffered, it is offered to you in faith, take and eat, take and drink. No one's going to fast. And in Luke, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. And if he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled. Not only are we thinking Lord's Supper, but let's also think baptism. New wine, newly created, fresh wine, into old wineskins, unbaptized. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled. And the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into those that are born again from above, those that are newly created. Where the old wineskin is drowned with old Adam and died. We'll go back, and I love these because the word made flesh, that's a really big equivalency we have. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Because in the old days, Ezekiel and part of his calling, Son of man, Feed your belly with this scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. This is, of, this is of course, uh, the Lord to Ezekiel. And if that's not enough to tell you this was God's word, then I ate it, and it was in my mouth, and sweet as honey. And in Jeremiah, your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. A couple more. Leviticus. Um, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. Because any flesh without blood has no life. And I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. This is payment. This is... um, bodily and spiritual payment as this word is used in scripture. So it's, it's something that can be understood by the early training of Leviticus. Uh, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. And then in Exodus, where Moses is uh, given uh, some of the earliest instructions on how to build an altar, an altar of earth you shall make for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings your sheep and your oxen, in every place where I cause my name to be remembered in remembrance of me, I will come to you and bless you. And that leads to this next part. If you remember from the first class, we talked about the double meaning of in remembrance of me. At first glance, when we hear these words, we think, okay, this is, I need to remember what happened for me, what happened for my forgiveness of sins. But the, the double meaning that, that's in this is also in the, me, in the remembrance of Jesus. Remember me, but please don't remember my sins. This is, uh, read through the Psalms. Uh, a quarter of the Psalms talk about this remembrance. And this is one of my favorites. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been of old. Remember not the sins of my youth, or my transgressions. When sins are forgiven, they are also forgotten by God. They don't exist. They can't exist. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. This steadfast love we see 300 times in the Old Testament, mostly Psalms and and, and some and others. There's no English word that can really describe the steadfast love because it also includes redemption. It is this complete selfless love that also takes action on its behalf. 
best way I can explain it. It's called Kesed. Kesed. When you see steadfast love, think Jesus. Because that's what that, that's what's going on. Love that takes action. Love that forgives you your sins. All right, a little bit more on remembrance of me. This is our uh, choir singing today. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Is that pretty much the same words you guys are singing today? First, first, first yeah, yeah, I, that's true. It is mostly the first. All right. Um, before we move on, so that is, it's an overview. There's plenty more. But that's an overview of the Lord's Supper training in the New Testament before the Last Supper, before the crucifixion of, uh, of Christ. How are we doing on time? Oh, we've got a few minutes. We'll begin to look at the Lord's Supper after the Last Supper. And we really need to begin this uh, in Corinthians because we will also get into um, the topic of closed communion and how it's an act of love. What is worthy? What is unworthy? Pastor, yeah. can I just ask you a question? Sure. You Absolutely. Same word throughout. Uh, we get the literal, literal and figurative context uh, from the context, from what he's from what he's talking about. It, it kind of goes back to the literal context when Jesus is actually holding something when he says, "This is my body." And, and there's nothing that tells us he's holding a door when he says, "I, I am the door." That that's part of it too. Yeah, it, it so makes him the one and only. Um, I, will, I will actually look more into that because I was, I was thinking that too but um, yeah you got something wrong with it? Yeah. if I'm not mistaken in the door, the gate, the good shepherd and so forth, the figure is not in the copula or the verb the figure is in the noun door, door good shepherd, gate and so forth. well the door the same place but, uh, so and one of the things we have to be careful in talking about the Lord's Supper because we do so much. There was only one person who could say, this is my body, this is my blood, and it'd be literal. That, 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 that's, a, that's a miracle. I mean, that's, that's relevant. No one else in all creation could say, this is my body, this is my blood, literally. something like the door and um, they would take something like the door as elder's proof that this is my body's figure. Yeah, yes. and one thing, uh, that's oh, exactly wow. what they said because I had once gone to an Orthodox Presbyterian church and there was a discussion about being members and uh, that's where I drew the line and I said I can't, I can't agree with your interpretation here because that's what he was trying to do with the Lord's Supper and he 
know, you can look at it all you want and say, I think you're getting too stuck in the mindset of like a door has to be something that's wooden with a handle. But if I just cut a hole out of the wall and go from one dimension to another, that's still a door. So Jesus is the door. He is the only way you get into heaven. He is literally the door. So I just, I couldn't abide by it. I was like, I'm just not, I'm not buying right. figurative, you know, understanding. Yeah, the, the, the figurative, too, is like, it's, it's how they speak in parables as well. The kingdom of heaven is like. And simi- There's another important thing going on here, and I, I really am probably going to, I hope I don't sin here. Uh, <clears throat> because you didn't have hermeneutics. I discovered, to my chagrin, they don't teach it at the seminary. That's age. true. And, uh, <laughs> and there's, there's a hermeneutical principle in Dr. Welch that's kind of intense about this. Word studies, he hates word studies because word studies tempt us or can lead us to take the meaning of a word in one context and apply that meaning to that same word every place it shows up. That's very true. I was concerned as you were going through all these other verses with words that are in the the words of institution. I mean, with the same word to show, you did a word study and looked for these words. The, the danger there is it can cause us to put a, a meaning on a word in the other context that doesn't fit the context. Mm-hmm. Because words have multiple meanings, and you have to pick the meaning that applies to the context. So some of those verses you gave, I would disagree with. And, you know, you can't go, okay, I'll go back over that. Well, you know, it makes me think, you know, I've been focusing a lot on the verb. What I also need to look at is the declension of the noun. Whether it's nominative, genitive, date, that's a whole nother ball of wax, but um, I need to look at the declension of the nouns. No, that's really good question. Really, yeah, and I, I, and I will look into it and start out with that The reason time. I went back to the context thing, that from a critical principle, the context of the Lord's Supper is, is the only place where that, you know, body and blood, wine and um, bread are literal. The verb never is uh, symbolic. I mean, right. in, in the other text, door, shepherd, all that, the verb is still literal in those cases. Mm. Is, 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 is. It's always is. Yeah. It doesn't mean represent. It never means represent. In those other cases, the symbol is in the noun, not in the verb. Door becomes a symbol, but it's determined by the context. In the Lord's Supper context, only because it's Jesus, and no one else could say that, what would normally be, you couldn't make it literal, can be, and because of, you know, analogy of faith, the overall teaching of scripture and so forth, it is literal. I've got some old, um, I've got some old class notes and a couple articles about the I am statements in John. So I'll take a look at that and start out next time, but. No, this is this is great. By, by all means, if it challenge your pastor, that's your job. By all means, do that. And it really is. I have one other thing I've made notes. That's why I will never change my Bible. <laughs> 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 I'm not sure if that's Yeah, no, it's a, it, it is an ongoing controversy that we will not know. It, it's been a controversy but probably more than 500 that. years. I think I have an answer. <laughs> that, that interpretation is from Luther himself. It is. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, and I've always disagreed with Luther. Yeah. I, 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 I totally disagree with him. And the reason why, I'll give you the reason why. We didn't even read the passage of it. It's the response from the disciples regarding what Jesus says. So when Jesus says it, they say, this is a hard teaching. Who can believe this? And does Jesus back down at all and say, wait a minute, you're getting me wrong here. This is all figurative. You know, he doesn't back down at all. And so I just, I don't, in, I don't interpret it the way that, you 
know, they interpret it based upon the response from the disciples of saying, yeah. I, this is clearly, we can't pay. And, and it also says that many people turned away and left at that point and never, never came back. This has been a, just in the LCMS in America, it's been a controversy its entire time. It's probably, book-wise, it's probably two-thirds that say it is the Lord's Supper, one-third says it isn't the Lord's Supper. Uh, I've seen really, really smart guys disagree on it uh, for many different reasons, some language-wise, whether it be literal, figurative. And that's also why I, I did want to take a look at a cursory reading of it. Because we kind of got the overview. If we're thinking about the Lord's Supper, because at this time, John's already, John knows about the Lord's Supper. Um, and in being inspired by the Holy Spirit, here's what he writes. What's the first feeling you, you got? Is that feeling right? I don't, I, you know, I, I can't, I'll never say for certain, but we'll find out one day. We'll find out one day. I, I will look into that. The I, the I am statements are uh, uh, I'll close with this. Um, Dr. Weinrich is a professor at seminary. He was also a, a Navy chaplain for about 25 years. Uh, I think he's about 82 years old now. He'd, he's written everything. His, his focus is John and John alone. Uh, his commentaries are all on John. We got in his class last year. Dr. Weinrich, we finally got to John 6. Is John 6 sacramental? You know what he said? I won't use the word he used. The whole dang gospel of John is sacramental. So giving an answer without giving an answer. Probably a good politician. Well, but, uh, you, uh, I think you were saying this in a different way at the beginning. One of the reasons those who believe this believe it can be true and correct. John wrote the gospel in like 95. One of the last gospels to be written. Matthew, Mark, and Luke were in circulation already. That's and, true, too. And, yeah. And John, Very good point. John believed, well, this, is a, this is a conjecture, but if John felt it wasn't necessary to use the actual words of institution of the Lord's Supper because it, everybody already knew that. That's been covered. It's yeah. been covered by Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Then that could make John 6 sacramental. I believe it is. Yeah. But, uh, Corinthians was probably written before, before John. I don't know. I'd have to look at Paul's travels, but... Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. No, excellent discussion. This is fun. I like this stuff. Are we late? Oh, yeah, I guess so.